This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome. This is Garden of Sound. Today on the show, Alex Turnbull. He's the Managing Director of Rhythm and Alps and responsible for getting some of the biggest names in the music biz onto these fair shores. But aside from the success, how did Alex get his start in the business and what advice does he have for those crazy or dedicated enough to want to make music promotion their bread and butter? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Alex Turnbull on 96.9 Plains FM. Alex, I want to kick off with um, uh, music from an early age, perhaps uh, in the house or maybe your experiences as a school kid going off and doing stuff. Luckily, my childhood memories are really healthy and positive, and I, th- I think um, musically, I mean, our family wasn't a, a, a musical family, although playing music and having music on and sorting around the house and uh, uh, very fond and warm memories of picking out records at your grandparents and going, well, what's this one? And then learning how to put that on the needle on the record. What sort of stuff was playing or did you felt drawn to? There was a lot of jazz. And as a younger person, that was kind of cool because I picked up drums from, from an early age and jazz drumming is... Once you get that rocking you, you can play anything, you know, like, you know, the Stones is originally a, a, a jazz band, and, and Charlie Watts Snare, is, he's a jazz drummer. And, and a lot of people may not know that, but those are the memories of the early sort of wafting sounds, and of course, um, New Zealand music as well, such as an era of the dudes coming through, and mm-hmm. the exponents are some pretty fond memories, but that was that was a bit older, we're, we're you know, I'm 42 six now so so apart from the drums were there any other instruments in the early days clarinet was um uh uh instrument that was um was that your choice yeah and it was it was very difficult to play from memory i haven't t- i haven't picked a clarinet up in 20 odd years but learning to play you'd have always sore tongue and lips afterwards and um as part of school orchestras you know other early memories were down at the Town Hall in Christchurch and I think a lot of primary school kids from the 70s and 80s and probably into the 90s as well had, had those same memories where you would all jump on the school bus and go down to the town hall and there would be an inter-school kind of production whatever it may be. Um, probably a lot of recorders and a lot of vocals going on. Mm-hmm. Now uh, Managing Director of uh, Rhythm and Alps, that's where you are now. So when was the realisation that maybe I'm not going to be a full-time musician and maybe organising stuff, putting on stuff. When did that sort of dawn on you? Um, I was never very good at playing instruments. It was always a pleasure watching your peers and um, friends and bands coming through. I was like, wow, they're really good. There's no way I'm going to keep up with that. But it didn't appear that a musical or job in the industry would appear until late 90s where it was a bit of a tragedy really where uh, <clears throat> at Ross Coulter Festival in, in, in 99-2000 um, 
we were on the way to see Willie Nelson and Friends. This was on the program. We thought, well, this wow. is, is kind of cool. Mm. And on the way through to that stage, Pearl Jam kicked off. And, you know, the sort of 60,000, 70,000 people in this arena, we were walking around the sort of back edge. And, of course, on those big arena stages, there's, there's big screens halfway down the field with the, with the um, delay speakers. And... Eddie Vedder came on, he broke into, I don't know, Jeremy or something like that, and he dropped one knee, and his vocals, you know, he stopped singing, the band were kind of slowing down, I thought, what's going on here? The cameras panned round to the front of the stage in those first, in the, in the mosh pit, and there was a crowd crush that got it wrong with crowd protection barriers, I think eight to ten people died um, during this, so the band... We're kind of in pieces. Eddie Vedder was crying. We're going, what the hell's going on here? This is this is bizarre. And then watching that unfold was phenomenal, whereby stage managers came out and they asked the crowd to move back on three steps. And I was clocking all this in and watching what the reactions were on stage, the raw energy. And then, you know, the next morning they were driving. I mean, this is... A, pre-social media, pre... I think I think there was mobile phones around this time. We did have a mobile phone, but the messaging systems were still pretty analogue where they had a printing press on site in this festival where they printed festival newspapers daily. So sort of 6, 7 in the morning, there were motorbikes driving around the campground, throwing out newspapers into the tents, and then you can kind of roll it, you know, old school, roll it out, and it's got, the show must go on, we can't evacuate you all. There's 70,000 people on site um, there was a tragedy here last night Eight, to, like, I think it was 8 people died and then watching this unfold how they managed it, the raw emotion and they were saying tonight the cure and I made an all headline on a different stage and I was going, I want to do this this is, this is what I want to do, so we jumped back on a plane. Is this from a preservation point or a safety point or is it I can do this better can I do this better? No, it was sort of eyes wide open going, wow, look at this kind of reaction and what's going on and the raw energy and what it means to people. And that kind of reset my mind, you know, and to thinking, I'm going to do this. So we jumped on a plane back to the UK. I was, current, I was currently working in, 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 a, um, in a bank in, in the UK and I walked in and said, I'm, I'm, I'm out. They're like, what do you mean? And I said, nah, I just, I'm not wearing my suit and tie going into work on a tube for the rest of my life. There's absolutely not. And pretty much quit on the spot. Went to the University of London and did a releasing and marketing music course there and completed that and then flew back to New Zealand and did the practical side of it with an audio engineering diploma up in Auckland so with a bit of theory a bit of practical but no sort of real frontline experience jumped into booking uh, a music venue on K Road called Studio so that was when it kind of made sense that all of these bands were coming through um, with tour managers or not and going yeah we can do this better I just want to jump back very quickly, uh, you'd mentioned The Cure and Iron Maiden. How did their sets go down following that tragedy? 
if Iron Maiden is something that if you've never seen Iron Maiden play do, um, it was against all stereotypical views I had of the band of bogans with mullets and Cortinas doing donuts on the street. It was quite the opposite, or it's like a space orchestra. Iron Maiden in costume, big silver kind of lapels off their shoulders and, and he's swinging around the top trusses and then on top of the marquee with his microphone. I was just going, what is going on here? To see a band like that in Denmark whereby the Danes have very strong links to heavy metal rock and so forth and they're Vikings, you know? So you're sitting in a, standing in a field surrounded by Vikings watching Iron Maiden. From then, The Cure came out. You know, The Cure was right on my top of tape lists in the 80s. You know, that was a big part of our secondary school life was in the, you know, in the mid to late 80s. You got a favourite Cure track? Uh, Primary, I think. Primary is the one where there's a lot of um, flange and reverb on the guitar and it's strumming through and it's quite an up-tempo track. But, you know, the Cure this, I, I, I think in the 80s, I think there was 13 albums at that point from that band. And I, and I think that there is rumour they're coming out to Christchurch next year. Do you reckon we could put on Primary right now? Yeah, this is great. it's a great idea. I think Primary's a track that really hits home for, you know, definitely my generation at that time. And it's, it's a pretty cool track.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Alex Turnbull on Plains FM 96.9. We've heard about um, that tragic yet amazing gig uh, in Denmark. Um, But I want to find out, what's the first big gig you remember getting along to that you you shelled out some cash uh, that had a real impact on you? The unannounced Nirvana show at Warner's in 92 or 3. That was... I was just speaking to a friend this morning. I was saying, did that happen? And he goes, yeah, it did. They they played one show in, I think it might have been Power Station in Auckland in, in early 90s, and there was an unannounced undercover kind of show, maybe warm-up thing. Uh, maybe they were here for Big Day Out. I, I can't quite remember, but Nirvana at Warner's, that was such a good venue. And for those of you out there that you know may remember, maybe had that sort of top tier, it was a small yet punchy kind of rock and roll club. Was it only because Warner's was pretty much the only place in Christchurch which would be able to sort of suit suit those groups i mean they're not going to book the town hall are they it's interesting that some some artists want to play a venue because another artist has played there and an example of that is the barrytown hall and in, in the west coast when the big day it was going buster rhymes played in the barrytown hall um the white stripes played in the barrytown hall and the barrytown hall was probably it's a pretty small room i don't know 100 square meters tops with kind of remu tongue and floor you know, there's one door and, oh man, we've seen some great shows in there. The UK Subs was a UK punk band. You know, bikies on the floor, squealing their bikes while the punk band's going and dogs coming running in and out with ribs in their mouth. I mean, it's it's art. Tell me about that Nirvana gig. Why was it so great? That was an unannounced kind of thing. And, you know, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana in the early 90s when grunge, that grunge thing was coming in. It was kind of, it was a good era, and we were right there in the forefront of it. Very lucky, really. I think people of, you know, our generation, the mid forties, have seen, you know, the birth of hip hop, the birth of grunge, and we're very lucky to see that. I mean, it's timeless music. I want to take you back uh, a little bit. Studio in Auckland. You've done some audio engineering, at least. How did it sort of turn into a sort of a, an event booking uh, kind of thing throughout the country? You know, as we're in, everywhere in New Zealand, jobs aren't going to come to you. You've got to go and get. You've got to get up and get out there and put your name. In. And I wanted a job in the in, in the in the music industry after seeing this massive festival in in, in Denmark and what happened there. I said I, I have to be involved in this. So coming back home, you know, coming back home as a New Zealander, Auckland seemed like the logical choice to go because that's currently where you know most of New Zealand music industry is based so I just was door knocking on venues and I was happy to do anything sweep the floor or pick up glasses from the crowd or do do anything but it sort of evolved into a booking role for the venue so promoters or event organizers would ring the landline or ring your cell phone and say we want to book the state and it's a really 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 good way to see how what bands are performing the New Zealand Music Awards have an award for the best group well they should really be asking all the venue owners who are the best group because they see them day in and day out week in week out in all genres from dance to jazz to classical to hip hop to drum and bass or whatever it may be and we got to see lots of acts come through there and then you sort of put yourself in a position 
to talk to artists directly or talk to touring managers directly and say, hey, we want to promote that show. You guys are coming through. You're going to be in Sydney or Melbourne. Why don't you jump across the ditch to Auckland and we've got a, you know, there's a good club here. It's seven, 800 people. I reckon we can sell it out. And so that was kind of the birth of my promoting life. In all of your experience prior to Rhythm and Alps, how can groups get themselves into your good books? What are the kind of things that groups should be doing or at least um, need to have prepared to be, you know, making life easy for you? Generally, there's a bit of a vibe on some act. You'll hear from your industry peers and you'll make an effort to go and see them. And if you've got your shit together on stage and you perform really, really well and tight, that's step one. You know, the other side of it, of having a good manager or an agent, is a nice to have. And that's a really, it can be a very difficult relationship for an act because artists want to get up on stage and smash it up, you know, and play really, really well. They're not interested in the accounting side of, or the business side, but if it's easy for everyone, where the fact that they have a good manager or an agent, or not at all, um, if they've got their own uh, head screwed on, that's a really big help. Just like any industry, you know, it's it's you're always going to work better with people that you get on with you or treat you how you want to be treated. You know, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's very unforgiving, this industry, and not for the faint-hearted. It's quite easy for bands to get disheartened and, and give up, but I, I say don't. Is there any direct aspect of mentoring which you have provided either to fellow um, up-and-coming event promoters or to, or to groups? Just to keep those ones who yeah. feel like they're going to give it away, maybe? Yeah. Um, bands, we were involved with the management of Die, Die, Die back when they first started. And they're still playing. They're still going. And, and a phenomenally good act, um, I think. You know, they got to the point where Steve Albini um, from Schlack produced their album out of the States, out of Chicago. I might have that wrong, but somewhere in the States. They're still playing, and to young event promoters, I mean, the world is littered with megalomaniac um, young event promoters. And You need a bit of that, though, don't you? You know, you do. It keeps us on our toes, but, I mean, they're often posing as tacky opportunists. So it's kind of a very interesting space in the event world where it's quite easy to make several million dollars over a summer, but it's just as easy to lose that. And then it's how you condone yourself in, in, in those periods, not just in the industry, but as, 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 as a person. I've said before, like, it's not for the faint-hearted. So, you know, when it's good, it's good. But at some point, you're going to get bitten some one way or the other. And it's how you prepare for that and how you condone yourself, firstly, as a human and secondly, as a, as a business person. I want to pick up on the, the rise and fall and rise of various uh, empires, uh, but again, it is time for some music. Uh, I want to talk about sort of favourite tracks or things that have sort of stayed with you uh, always, or maybe even a current fave. Anything that you can sort of pull out of the, the Turnbull box of treats? It's, for me, it's got to be Gimme Shelter from the Rolling Stones. It's the ultimate cool psychedelic rock and roll track for me 
Where was the first time you heard it? It was probably in in, in the UK, I think, and, and the track's been out for. Oh, I, I, don't quote me here. Early early seventies, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, I probably didn't hear it till late eighties. Mm-hmm. You can play that at, in your grandmother's house and at, at your child's playgroup. Everyone's into it.
bit of history for you. Gimme Shelter was recorded in both the UK and the US in 1969 using the exceptional vocal talents of Mary Clayton. The track certainly did take its toll. I encourage you to read up about that. Little known fact, however, Mary also sang the Man with the Golden Gun part on the Tori Amos track Cornflake Girl some 25 years later. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Alex Turnbull on 96.9 Plains FM. Hey, I'm Max, singer and guitarist from Merlinco. When you need some stellar photos to help sell your band or next gig, get in touch with Shannon Jessica. She's not just a great photographer, she froths local music. And that passion comes through full swing in all the work she does. This month, Shannon's offering a lovely introductory special, meaning your shoot could cost as little as 150 bucks. But these packages have got to be snatched up by the end of the month. So visit shannonjessica.com for a beautiful portfolio from your next gig. That's shannonjessica.com. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Alex Turnbull on Plains FM 96.9. Alex, in the um, previous part of the show, we were talking about um, uh, event planning and how things can go right and and how things can can go wrong. I'm not going to say rocky road, but things haven't always been sweetness and light with the with the rhythm brand there was a point when i guess you were a little bit in the red Would that yeah be fair? yeah yeah no, it's um it's an essential part of uh learning this industry when you start things up you've always got the grandeur plans of this is the new and best biggest thing and best thing and we all have those ideas you know you you, you some friends go well you know we're going to start this and we're going to conquer the world and blah 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 but there's balance and what goes up does come down, and, and and there are years better than others, and especially in the event industry, it only takes a storm or a bad experience from the customers in this day and age to let rip on social media and your brand, which you don't own, by the way, it's the, the public, the people own your brand, so what they think about your event or your experience is key it's got nothing to do with you it's you just have to do your best job possible to provide a really really good experience and one year we got it wrong we got it, we got it really wrong one, one year um rhythm and ops was born in 2011 at terrace downs at require gorge and um grew grew from nice humble numbers of about 2000 the first year to 2,500 or something the next year. Had you set an ideal number for the event in your head? We want to grow to this eventually? Audience numbers, we are capped at 10,000 and we hit that on our third year. So we went from two to two and a half and we moved it to Wanaka and we'd sold 10,000 tickets within a few weeks. And we thought, okay, well this was the right move. You know, people don't go to Methven for their holidays, they go to Coromandel or yep. Northland or Golden Bay or Wanaka. Wanaka, Queenstown. So we knew we had the model right. We're not reinventing the wheel. We're putting on events where people go for their summer holidays. It was a pretty simple plan, really. So we only had a short amount of time to build a new team together and build a new, uh, work on a new site with new suppliers. And it was a lot of new things for us. And we got it wrong. We also got hammered by the weather. Um, I think it was about I think it was about eight degrees for forty eight hours. 
Um, and we'd oversold the campground. There were queues everywhere. Um, it was damp. It was cold. And rightly so, people left pretty disgruntled. And we had an issue that year of uh, a lot of tents left behind. We're talking 2013, 2014? That was 2013. So we'd gone from 10,000 tickets that year to the next year halving that. Ah. So we dropped down to 5,000 thereabouts. So that was a massive hit in revenue-wise. And we had to trade out of that. And so we learnt our, learnt our lesson firsthand that if people are coming to your house for a party, you give them the best experience you can. You know, there's no point on trying to skim on less staff so there's more queues you've got to give people especially in this day and age now the best experience you can because they're the ones that own your brand you know they're the ones that have trusted you that they, they're going to depart with a couple of hundred dollars or whatever it is they want to see these acts in a comfortable environment and now we are really focusing we've learned a lesson we're really focusing on the experience first and then the artist's second so by you know we're not going to get caught up in a bidding war for the latest and greatest rapper whereby we want to focus our investment into making the site really nice and really comfortable so when you know all of you walk through the doors you're going to get a good experience you're not going to queue up for a long time the food offerings are good the um, intoxication levels are really really low um, we've you know we've only had one arrest in nine years. We're quite proud of the fact that we it's it's really important to manage a large crowd, but let it's New Year's Eve. You know you've got to remember that people want to party, but at the same time, it's not cool anymore to be that that person in the corner being sick or drunk too many beers or whatever it may be, and 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 that's why we've got. You know, our slogans for the company are be good humans, turn up the love, because we learnt we had to be better humans and turn up the love because when we came into Wanaka that first year, we stuffed it up and it left a lot of angst in the community. Mm. And I was like, oh, man, um, we had a choice here. Either we shut this down or we stand up and go for it. So we decided to stand up and go for it. What are your relationships like now with the uh, community? I lo- it's an amazing community to live in firstly and 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 be lucky enough to have a business there that that it's getting better and better and the community are very kind and giving it's it's been amazing the turnaround we had where it's like we sort of came into a small town and trashed it pretty quickly overnight and kind of left the trail of destruct destruction we're like wow this is this is not how things are done you know so I think with the relationship with the community now it's fantastic we're probably I think we're probably the third largest employer in the town how much choice have you got on who um who comes in we've got full control on the booking but we've got to remember that we're booking for if people want it give it to them it's it's that simple if you know if you're a bakery and, and and people like your fruit loaf, do it. Mm-hmm. So in saying that, at the same time, we work in sync with the other festivals around the 
district, and Austra- sorry, Australasia, you know, there's Gisborne and there's, there's Rhythm and Vines, there's Northern Base, um, there's the larger Australian festivals beyond the Valley and Field Day and Origin Festival. So we talk together and say, right, let's all put in X amount of dollars for and go for this act, and it either works or it doesn't. So those negotiations start quite early, probably mm-hmm. February, March. For the end of the year? For the end of the okay. year. Okay. So it takes generally a few months at least of talking to these managers or agents based out of, usually out of UK or, or the States. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, it's um, it all depends on the cycle and, and of the where the artist is. If they dropped an album mid-year, are they touring? Generally, um, Australasia is a very important part of an of an artist's touring schedule. It's definitely really yeah, yeah. It's definitely because it's summer down here. December is a good time for them. Generally, they're all it's a the off season from northern from the northern hemisphere. I mean, the northern hemisphere festival season goes from May to September. Mm-hmm summer and and they're pretty on the road a lot during that time so if they're dropping in an album sort of summer they want to get down here to Australia and and of course it's really good revenue generation for them you know I mean like I think Australasia is the third highest revenue market for touring surprising Mm. and it's a beautiful part of the world to come at a great Mm. time of year what is the biggest piece of advice you would look back and give to little Alex um, before you sort of embarked on this um, oh. this great and crazy adventure? Do you really want to? You sure you want to do this? Like, are you sure you really want to do this? And and if you do, no chips, no casino. It's very easy to lose several hundred thousand dollars several nights in a row, and. No chips, no casino. If you don't have the money for that, you can't, you can't do that. And luckily enough, we've managed to get through those hard times, but not to be recommended. So any advice for younger event planners or promoters is that make sure you've got a war chest tucked away somewhere or don't borrow money off friends or parents to do these shows because your big grand plan's don't always work out. On that sobering note, I want to play some more music. Is there a track from a from an artist who may or may not fit the Rhythm and Alps mould you'd like to share? Last year we toured Grace Jones and she'd never played New Zealand before. So she played in Queenstown with us and then she went up to Auckland City Limits Festival. Grace Jones is in that, you know, the warrior queen. You know, and we've she's she's an actor, she's a musician, she's a painter. It was probably the most rewarding tour we've been involved in. So why is that? Well, the quality of the band. You know, there was a large rhythm section, and it was extremely tight. And and it just we've been trying to get Grace out here for a number of years, and it finally happened. So, you know, that's why I've chosen Grace Jones' Private Life, the extended version.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Alex Turnbull on 96.9 Plains FM. Hey, my sisters and brothers, it's Brad from the Butlers and the Singleton Mingle. If you're looking for a top-notch screen printer for your next big shindig, then go down to see James at Against the Grain Screen Printing. He's been printing out t-shirts and merch for the Mingle for many, many moons. He's an absolute ledge, and he's one of the few qualified textile lords in the city. So get down and see him. You're guaranteed a great price and a mean result. Check him out on the World Wide Web, atgscreen.co.nz. That's atgscreen.co.nz. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Alex Turnbull on Plains FM 96.9. Just heard uh, Grace Jones there, and you said it was one of um, uh, the best tours or the best experiences. Anything else out there uh, that you've put on or booked that sort of uh, stands head and shoulders above the, uh, the rest? The Public Enemy group and what they stand for hits home for, for me that they're a phenomenally tight act. Chuck D and Flavor Flav and that group, that band with them is probably the tightest, toughest, most on point and strongest message that I've ever witnessed and um, I think they're probably in their early 60s now and they're still punching way above their weight and I'd, I remember being on stage with Chuck D, I handed the mic and he said, I've got to go out there and really own this stage, you know, like really, really own it, because if I don't own it, it'll own me. For, you know, young bands that are going out there or acts, really cut loose on stage, because you've only got that hour or 90 minutes or whatever you've got, and you'll get addicted to that if you own it. So what is the future for Rhythm and Alps? Well, yeah, the, the first goal was to get to 10, and we're looking very likely that's going to happen. Post that, we'd probably want to do more outdoor events in the Otago region. It's a beautiful climate. It's a beautiful part of the world. There's an international airport there. There's a real model for outdoor concerts, and especially probably the the older acts, like the, for example the Grace Jones or the Fatboy Slims, or and, and, a, and a good example is, is Gibson Valley, who have... Um, managed to do really good numbers and good business with the, those heritage-type-based acts. So that's probably something we'd venture into is doing more outdoor shows now that we're a, an established and anchored brand and financially secure. We'll be able to um, branch out and do uh, other shows and tours on a, on a case-by-case basis. Any other acts you've got your eye on or you would love uh, to get into uh, get into NZ, um, Shade, Shade would be phenomenal. I think um, I encourage you all to to look her live videos up on on YouTube, and uh, it's a beautiful show and a very strong backing band behind her, um, and very tight musicians with a really tight rhythm section, and then she sort of wafts on out and steals the show. Alex, you've been a, a fantastic guest. Um, I do want a track to take us out with. Now, there's been a lot of mention of, you know, um, black British acts, Grace Jones and, and Sade. Is it sort of any counterpoint to that, potentially? Uh, for me, you know, 
the clash have got to get a mention today, I think, and um, their history, you know, the crossover of reggae and punk. I'm, I'm really down with back going back into the clash now, and I it's the record's been tucked away on my in in my office there for about seven or eight years without being pulled out. I pulled it out the day and went, wow, I've been going, this that's right, you're here. Let's put you on, and it's like wow, it's probably one of the um, Clash is one of the greatest acts in, in Furrows in my mind. What song are we going to listen to? The Magnificent Seven. Brilliant, Alex. Thanks so much for being on the show. Cool man. <laughs> Yeah. 
Okay, that's it for today. You can find pretty much all of the tracks that Alex and I talked about on a Spotify playlist created especially for the show. Just head to gardenofsound.nz and click on Alex's picture on the front page. From there, you can find out more details about this year's Rhythm and Alps and go on the draw for a two-day camping pass for two to this year's event. You do have to be over 18 to enter, though. You can find out more at gardenofsound.nz. Okay, it's been a massive show and super cool that you've been here to show your support. This has been Garden of Sound. So until next week, keep well, keep listening, and keep playing. Hi there, darling.